To all the, uh, all the parents of babies and children, every time they make a noise, I want you to know we're all thinking the same thing. Gee, we wish we had no children here and we were a dying church, right? So just be aware that that's what's going through. No, we love your children. They are so welcome here. If they make a noise, it tells us all the same thing. God is blessing us as a church. So, you know what, don't stress. If your child makes a noise, we have no problem with that whatsoever. We love having children in this church. So please, children are not the future of the church. They are the church. They're a part of us, and we're so thankful to have them with us. All right, I'm absolutely pumped this morning. Uh, My arms will probably wave around even more than usual. Uh, And that is because we are back to exegetical preaching. Oof, makes me so pumped. Working through the Word of God together. So can I encourage you, spend a lot of time in Peter. I've got an audio Bible app on my phone, and as I've been driving around over the last several weeks, I've just had Peter playing all the time, just getting Peter to saturate my mind. Can I encourage you to just dwell in 1 and 2 Peter at the moment. Maybe at the end of the whole series, we'll have an exam on 1 and 2 Peter. And, and if you win, Calvin will sing you a song. There you go, right? Um, actually, no, no one's going to try then, are you? So anyway, look, just saturate yourselves in Peter and it will do you good. So this morning, we're only looking at two verses. Uh, that is the introduction and also we're going to kind of do the surrounding historical information, which is why we've only got two verses. So if you have your Bible, open up to 1 Peter 1, 1 to 2. 1 Peter 1, 1 to 2. That is our passage this morning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Amen. So let's give ourselves a little bit of background This was written, almost everyone agrees, by the Apostle Peter. It was probably written, we can never say these things with 100% accuracy, it was probably written somewhere between 60 and 64 AD while Peter was in Rome. In chapter 5, he's going to send greetings from Babylon, which is a not particularly kind name for Rome. Uh, And so Peter is writing from Rome, he's writing somewhere around 60, 64 AD, and he is predominantly writing the letter to Gentiles, in other words, non-Jews. So he's writing to an area that is predominantly Gentile-filled churches. Now, there would have been some Jews in those churches, but the majority would have been Gentiles. Now, Peter will reference the Old Testament quite a bit throughout the letter. Well, that tells us a couple of things. Yes, one, there would have been some Jews, but two, those converts in those areas would have begun instruction in the Old Testament. After all, the Old Testament really sets up the scene for and guides us to the revelation of the New Testament, right? 
It's not a worthless throwaway book. It sets the entire theme for the New Testament. As one Old Testament commentator said, I find the New Testament useful for devotions. Um, right? So basically, uh, the Old Testament is important and it sets the scene. Now, we're working on rough estimates here. But Peter was probably in his late 50s or 60s. He's been serving Jesus a long time. No doubt, not quite the brash, brazen, speak before you think Peter of the Gospels, but a wiser, more thoughtful, godly man who has spent most of his life at this point walking after and serving Jesus. So this older, wiser Peter, under the guidance of the Spirit, decides to write this letter to the churches of Asia Minor. Now, Asia Minor, all of what Peter is talking about is included in modern-day Turkey. Okay, so that's the reason we're talking about. So Peter's addressing this letter to the churches, all included with modern-day Turkey. Why? What's the motivation for Peter to write a letter to these churches? Well, what you're going to see throughout this letter is that these churches in Asia Minor are facing a growing persecution. Now, at this stage, it's not a full government-sponsored persecution. It's not a total emperor decides to eradicate Christianity, which is coming. More, it's a steady persecution. And there's a few things that could be involved in this persecution. A lot of people think it's a persecution of the Jews. So we do see in the New Testament, obviously, that Jews are upset at Christianity at claiming Jesus was the Messiah, and there's a conflict that's occurring there. So it could be a Jewish persecution of these Gentile churches. It can also be a local government persecution of the churches. So not a full widespread government, but a local government. And lastly, it could be a conflict with the actual culture itself. You might remember in Acts 19, there's a silversmith who basically causes a riot. Why? Because the Christians are, are spreading and they will no longer buy the silver idols that were being made to worship false gods. And so the businesses are getting affected because people are coming to faith. And because we don't follow the ways of the world, because we honor Christ, at times that means we move differently from the world. And guess what? The world can get upset about that. So in all of these ways, we as elders in this church think Peter is a good letter for us to begin working through. The reality is there is a growing persecution in our country. Now, it's still minor compared to others, China, North Korea, Sudan, Iran, whatever, all of these ones, we don't want to put ourselves anything like that scale. But there is a growing persecution in the West. We are no longer a nation built on, well, we were built on Christian principles, we're no longer a nation that values those principles. They've largely been abandoned and are continuing to be done with. So we have to begin to wrestle, don't we, church? In this changing era, where once upon a time Christianity and its heritage was valued in our country, what does it mean for us to honour Christ when that may well result in being disliked, despised, 
or potentially losing my job. You see, these are the issues that we are going to have to wrestle with as we move into this changing age. Most of us have never had to face that test, but it is becoming a reality. Soon, we're all going to figure out the things that we surrendered to Christ when we came to him, as we are called to, and the things that we actually clung to. And we're going to figure out soon what they are when we have to give them up. This is the stage we're moving into. When they say you can't speak, will you remain silent? Or will you declare with the apostles, we must obey God rather than man? Can I ask somebody, sorry, to get me a cup of water? Just something catching in my throat. So if anyone's available, that would be fantastic. Thank you. Stu's racing out. Thanks, mate. Um, so this... You know, you might go, Sam, you're overstating things, but this is where we're rapidly moving, right? Think about it. You can be jailed in Victoria for disagreeing with someone's gender transition. You can be jailed in Queensland for disagreeing with their decision to euthanise themselves. We're currently going through the decision in Queensland to stop Christian schools being able to employ teachers based on their faith. Right? So we're going through all of these steady changes and all of it are targeted to make things difficult for Christians. I want to bring you to a guy called Pastor Martin Niemöller. Now he was a pastor of the underground church in Germany in World War II and he ended up going to the concentration camps. Uh, he actually survived but he spent time in the concentration <coughs> camps trying to honour Christ. Man, something's really catching just really emotional about exegetical preaching again. <laughs> um, thanks, Stu. This is what uh, Niemöller, his famous quote, I just want you to think about this for a second. He wrote this. First they came for the communists and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I'm not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. That's his, his famous statement, right? That we kind of watch what happens to every other group, but we kind of think that it's not going to happen to us. But I want you to understand it kind of is happening to us. So what did Niemöller do? And this is what I, the reason I share that quote. He actually formed like a network of churches with the sole intent of this. When I get jailed, when I go to the concentration camp, who's going to provide meals for my family? Right? So there are a network of churches who basically said, standing on the truth means I'm going to jail or I'm going to die. Who's going to help my family? And so they formed a network to say, brother, when you stand for the Lord and it costs you your freedom or life, we will care for your family. Isn't that incredible? So foreign to our kind of church. And I just want to tell you guys, we need to start the little wrestle. We're not there. We are seriously not there yet. But we need to change our thinking from a culture that basically welcomes and warms to our Christian heritage to a culture that no longer does. 
Peter is addressed to a church to say, this is how you live for Christ in a growing hostile age. Is that worth looking at together? I think so. Right? So that's why we're digging in to Peter together. So Peter begins by introducing himself. He starts by saying he's an apostle of Jesus. Now this is a direct title. It means that he is one of the 12 who had been taught and trained by Jesus. It's a very strong introduction to a letter, is it not? I am an apostle, one of the 12, chosen by Christ, taught by Christ, to effectively establish the church. None of us can address a letter like that in any way, shape, or form. I'm Sam from Bundaberg. It doesn't have the same ring. Uh, So Peter wrote this because he was writing the Word of God. This is an authoritative letter for the church forever. So he starts strong. I'm Peter. I'm one of the apostles, and this is the Word of the Lord. Now he addresses the letter to the chosen, those whom God has chosen for salvation. What a truly wonderful thing that God chose you. Now people say to me, Sam, why would God choose me? And I always tell them the same thing. Just go to Corinthians. God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to confound the strong. Basically, you're stupid enough and weak enough that God could display His glory through your broken vessel, right? That's why He chose you, because your fragmented, broken vessel of clay will let the light of Christ shine, because nobody looks at you and says, man, they've got it together. People look at you and say, if there's anything good in them, it's Jesus, right? That's why He chooses us, to reveal the glory of Christ. That is our purpose That is our job, right? That we are broken enough to let the light of Christ shine. Okay? That is who we are. Now, this letter, as I said, was primarily written to Gentiles. And it's telling them that they are God's chosen people. In the the Old Testament, we have a chosen nation, Israel. In the New Testament, we have a people chosen by faith right? The children of Abraham are now by faith. And so Peter is writing and saying, you are now the chosen people of God, his elect, his chosen. And then it says, exiles. God's chosen exiles, or your translation may say aliens. Why is it addressed to exiles or aliens, as your translation may say? Well, it's because we are chosen. And we are chosen to have a new king. We are chosen to the lordship of Christ. We are chosen out of the world into the kingdom of heaven. And because we are chosen to the new kingdom, because we are chosen by a new king, we are aliens and strangers in the world. We no longer have allegiance to the world. We no longer have belonging to the world. We are no longer children of the world, but children of God. And because of that, because we are not yet in heaven with our king, we are aliens or exiles on the planet. Okay, that is you, church. 
He's addressing you. You are an exile. You are an alien because you are now part of the kingdom of heaven, but you're currently here as an ambassador for Christ. Right? So you are a stranger. You're an exile in this land. You don't fit in because you have a different king. Peter is addressing Christians who refuse to buckle to the world and its demands. They are not exiles geographically. He's not talking about them being geographically exiles. He's saying you're exiles because you don't belong in any land on earth. Because you follow Jesus, you will be out of sync with those who belong on earth. It's important you understand this letter is addressed to you. You are God's chosen person and you are living in exile. See, the title reminds us of who we are and encourages us to keep going. Yes, things might get tough. Yes, you might get fired for standing on God's word. Yes, I might get cancelled because I won't compromise. Why, God, why? Because I chose you, and you're an exile. You don't fit or conform to the world and its standards. The other thing, understanding what this letter is saying and who it's addressed to, is it stops us from compartmentalizing. What I mean by that is this. Some of us would like to be in exile on Sunday, but through the week, I'm worldly and I can live according to the world in the choices I make. And this passage is saying, no, you are chosen and you are chosen as an exile in your whole life. You don't belong on the world and everything that that encompasses because you are chosen under the Lordship of Christ and that is your whole life. Can I make... A dodgy deal to make more money. That's not an, ex uh, an exile, that's a resident of this earth. Can I compromise on the trans movement so I don't offend someone? Well, that's not an exile, that's a resident. Can I stay silent and not always be ready to give an answer for the hope I profess? No, that's not an exile, that's a resident. Right? We are exiles to this world. Now, none of us perfectly lives the Christian life. None of us completely live as exiles in the world. At times, each of us will take up a bit of residency. And that's where repentance and confession of sin come in. The question I think God would challenge you with this morning is, what is your trajectory? What is your normal behavior? Yes, we are saved by the death and resurrection of Jesus who paid the penalty of our sin. But our salvation is not a ticket and then we're done. Our salvation puts us on the narrow road to salvation, a hostile road, a difficult road. And so the question is, are you walking on the narrow road as an exile? Or are you walking on the wide path that leads to destruction? What is your trajectory? Where are you walking? Are you seeking to put Christ first and therefore living as an exile? Or are you putting the world first 
living in comfort and destined for destruction? Right? These are the questions we must wrestle with. So he says, the chosen who are exiles and dispersed. This is not the, the Jewish dispersion. It's an extension of being exiles. We are strangers scattered in the world. He's addressing churches who are small groups of chosen exiles scattered around the world in various places, surrounded by those who follow the world and its desires. We are scattered chosen exiles who are trying to honor Christ in the midst of the world. We are scattered. So think about that introduction. Peter says, you are chosen, you are exiles, and you're scattered. Do you read that as hope-filled or hopeless? I think you've got to put yourself in Peter's shoes. Remember, Peter had been there from the start. A handful of men, been there and seen Jesus die, had hidden in the upper room, terrified for his life had seen the Spirit come at Pentecost, had been transformed, stood up and preached on that day and seen thousands come to faith, had seen the church scatter again under the persecution of Saul and then seen Jesus strike Paul to his knees, bring him to faith and then send out the persecutor as his missionary to the Gentiles and seen thousands come to faith across the world. Do you reckon Peter's sitting there going, your chosen exiles who are scattered, you've got no hope. Peter's like, your chosen exiles who are scattered, God will win the world. He will build his church because I've watched it for 60 years. Right? Put yourself in Peter's shoes. This is not a message of hopelessness. This is a message of hope. As God's chosen exiles, you are scattered and you will share the good news and people will be saved. Right? That is the testimony that Peter has witnessed in his life. Church, it's not hopeless to be chosen exiles of God scattered in a hostile world because of who did the choosing. The King of kings and Lord of lords. He did the choosing. He promises to build his church. It should make hope well up in your chest because you are Christ's chosen people living for his glory, scattered to proclaim his good news, to see the lost one. So then we read in verse 2, that's verse 1 by the way, then we read in verse 2, chosen by the foreknowledge of God the Father. Uh-oh. I dropped the little foam ball off the thing here. What are they worth? That foam ball is like $70. Someone is ridiculous, right? Anyway, that's an aside. I just got to put that somewhere, I won't lose it. All right. Verse 2, we read, chosen by the foreknowledge of God the Father. What does that mean? Well, this is really easy for those who believe in the doctrines of grace. 
But some of you will want to say, well, that knew, that means God knew those who were going to choose them. And I'm sorry, but that's just wrong. Peter will say in 120 that Christ was chosen before the foundation of the world. And that word there actually is foreknew. God foreknew Christ before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? It means that God for all time knew when he would send the Son. That's what it means. God knew his plan for all time. Apart from us, God has decided and decreed when Christ would come. God has decided and decreed those who are chosen. God's chosen, ordained by God to come, is how this reads. You are chosen for God's will and for God's glory. Rejoice in that, right? Rejoice in that. Now, the next bit is through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. So stay with me. You're God's chosen people by the eternal will of God, sanctified by the work of the Spirit. Now, normally when we talk about sanctification, we talk about the ongoing process of being made like Jesus. But that's not how it's being used here. It's using sanctification here as your conversion. Sanctified here means this, that in a moment you were made holy, you were made right, you were sanctified to be God's child, right? So, yes, sanctification is a gradual process, and our justification is the moment we are made right with God, but sanctified here is, is kind of acknowledging that in a moment, your sins were paid for, in a moment you were made holy, in a moment you were saved. So that's how sanctification is being used in this instant. So what Peter is telling the chosen is that you are saved by the work of the Spirit. In a moment, because of the Spirit, you have been made right with God. Now, it's a, it's a, a moment of, of uh, like I said, being made holy. But he also goes on to say, you are saved to obey, to obedience. But again, he's actually using the term here in light of our conversion. So he's doing something really interesting in the way he's stating these things. He's saying you are sanctified through obedience. And he's not actually talking about the life of Christ. He's talking about the moment of salvation. In other words, your obedience to the gospel. You heard the good news and you repented and you put your faith in Jesus. Through your obedience to the gospel, you are saved and sanctified. And then you begin to live out your obedience for the rest of your Christian life as well. So Peter is drawing all of these things to the moment of your conversion. In a moment, you were obedient to the gospel. You were sanctified by the Spirit in obedience to the good news. If we work it backwards, it would be like this. If someone says they're a Christian, but they've never been obedient to the gospel, then we would question if they've been sanctified by the Spirit. And if they're not sanctified by the Spirit, then they're not chosen. And if they're not chosen, they're not saved, right? So this is the kind of logic that Peter is building here. The Bible talks a lot about it, doesn't it? By your fruit, you will know them. Many will come on the day and say, Lord, Lord, and Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. So Peter's doing this thing where he's applying these terms to our moment of conversion, our obedience and our sanctification, because in one sense those things occur the moment you're saved, but it also speaks of the future life we have when we follow Christ to grow in sanctification and grow in obedience. 
So he's doing an interesting little word uh, thing here to flesh it out. Then he says, now we come to the sprinkling of blood, right? The sprinkling of blood. There's a little bit in these two verses, isn't there? Right? So it, it will take us a while to get through, Peter, but anyway. The sprinkling of blood, sanctification, obedience, and the sprinkling of blood. All three are being used to talk about our moment of conversion, right? That moment of coming to faith in Christ. Now, Peter was referencing a passage here. He's referencing Exodus 24, 3 to 8. And I want you to listen to the flow of thought here in Exodus 24, 3 to 8, okay? So if you've got your Bibles there, you can follow along. Exodus 24, verses 3 to 8. Listen. Moses came and told the people all the commands of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then all the people responded with a single voice, we will do everything that the Lord has commanded. Right? Obedience to the commands. We will do it all. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early the next morning and set up an altar and 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel at the base of the mountain. Then he sent out young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and set it in basins. The other half of the blood he splattered on the altar. He then took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people. They responded, we will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. Moses took the blood, splattered it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. Right? This is what Peter is saying. To come to faith, you believed in the gospel. And your belief in the gospel was a promise of obedience, right? Jesus said, go into all the world making disciples, baptizing them and teaching them all that I have commanded. So a coming to faith is a coming into obedience to the words of Lord, the Lord. And we were sprinkled by the blood of Christ, sealing the covenant that God has made with us. Right? This is what Peter's seeing. So we are chosen exiles who are scattered, but we are sanctified, we are obedient, and we are sprinkled by the blood of Christ in our covenant of salvation with God. This is what Peter is talking about. You are sealed by the blood of Christ. Peter then concludes his introduction by praying that grace and peace would be multiplied to them. Grace and peace are understood as predominantly about being in right relationship with God. Peter's prayer as they read, as they focus on Jesus, is that they would grow in relationship with God and therefore that God's grace and peace would abound in their lives. Amen to that, right? As you grow, as we focus on Peter, as we build our knowledge, as we understand more of God, then we would grow in grace and peace in our lives. Church, you are chosen exiles scattered in the world through obedience to the gospel, brought into covenant with God and sealed by the blood of Jesus. 
This means that we are united together in a way that the world is not. We can stand together when the world is hostile because we know who we are. We are not the fearful. We are not the ashamed. We are the chosen exiles scattered and on mission for the glory of God. That is who you are. And that is our hope as we pursue Christ together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that it reveals it's all from you. But Lord, you've chosen us to, to live lives of obedience to your word. of fruitfulness as we seek to honour and serve you as scattered exiles in this world. Lord, may we embrace that name. May we not live for the world's desires and its comforts, but may we be scattered exiles, living for your glory, putting your word first, shining the light of Christ in a crooked and depraved generation. Lord, as the culture around us changes, may we not be fearful. Lord, may we not retreat and hide. Lord, with trust in the one who chose us, may we be boldly proclaiming the good news. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. We pray as a church that we would shine the light in this community. We pray that in your precious name. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone. That does conclude our service together this morning. There is no final.